will be in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For death indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, thank you, Laura. This morning we are continuing our sermon series um, in the book of Romans, and we are going to be finishing up chapter 5 this morning as Laura uh, just read. And so as we get started uh, this morning, you never know what you find on the pulpit. So uh, thanks. It's it's awesome. I want you to imagine (laughs) this scenario with me. And so I want you to imagine that we have somebody in our church that we have hand-selected who has the opportunity to shoot a three-point basket in basketball, okay? And so we've selected somebody from our church to, to shoot this shot on our behalf. So no one is guarding them. Uh, No one else is out on the court with them. They're out on the court all by themselves, behind the three-point line, about to shoot a three-point shot for us as a church. They're like our representative that we have handpicked and selected to shoot that shot for us. So I don't know if there's somebody in particular that's coming to your mind who you would want to shoot that shot for us as a church. Maybe it's Tim Vance. Maybe it's Bill Lemer. Maybe it's Amy Pinner. I don't know who you would choose or select to shoot that shot for us as our representative to shoot that on behalf of Cross Fellowship Church. But you have one person to pick. But here's the catch. 
if they miss it, we all die. But if they make it, we all live. So like, no, no pressure, right? No, no pressure on whoever that person might, might be. Well, that, that scenario that I just described there, or painted for us there, is the reality in which all of humanity finds itself. That that scenario that I just described there is the, is the reality in which every single person in this room find themselves. What I mean by that is, is, is that our lives and the future of our lives is ultimately dependent upon the actions and the performance of somebody else other than ourselves. In other words, every single person in all of humanity is being represented by someone else other than themselves. And the outcome of and the future of our lives and everybody in humanity is ultimately dependent upon and decided upon the actions and the work and the performance of the person who's representing them. Now, I know just even trying to grapple with that in your mind, it, it, that goes against like our proud, individualistic, American sensibilities. Like we're our own person. We, we don't want anybody to represent us. We don't want anybody else to determine the outcome and the future of our lives. We determine the outcome and the future of our lives. Nobody else does. Well, the Bible says that's not true. Instead, what the Bible says, and we're going to see this within the, our passage this morning, is that everybody in all of humanity has a representative. And the actions and the performance of that representative then ultimately determines our identity and who we are and ultimately determines the future and the outcome of our lives. And so then as we, as we dig into this passage this morning, we're, we're going to see that one representative's disobedience led to condemnation and death for all, whereas one representative's obedience led to justification, righteousness, and life for all. And so what we're going to see is this contrast here that's being made all throughout this passage of these two representatives, that in the history of mankind, there are only, you want to simplify all of history and all of humanity there's two representatives that represents all of humanity for, for all of history. And the actions and the work and the performance of these two representatives ultimately determine the outcome and the future for all of humanity. The ultimate question then is, who then is your representative? Who is it? that is taking that three-point shot for you? Who is it whose actions are ultimately going to determine and dictate your future and the outcome of your life? Well, that's, that's what we're gonna see within our passage here this morning. It can really be divided up into two primary sections, and you can see these two primary sections in the main headings or the main points on your handout there. That in the first section... In verses 12 through 14, we're going to see how one man's disobedience 
has led to the condemnation and death for all. And then in the second section of this passage, so then in verses 15 through 21, we're going to see how one man's obedience then led to justification, righteousness, and life for all. So let's begin by looking at this first section and this first truth that we're going to see, which is that one man's disobedience has led to condemnation and death for all. This is the main point, as I mentioned, that Paul is making here, beginning in verse 12 through verse 14. Look there with me for just a minute, starting there in verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so then, this might hurt your brain a little bit, but just follow Paul's logic here. He, he's highlighting this kind of chain of events that happen in this logical order here. And he, and he first begins by, by highlighting the fact, you see this on your hand out there, that sin came into the world through one man named Adam. And so you might have noticed there in verse 12, he doesn't identify exactly who this one man is. He does that a few verses later, a couple of verses later there in verse 14. Once you get down to verse 14, he identifies that this one man is, the, is a man by the name of Adam. And so what Paul's referring to here is, is what happened in the garden all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 there. If you remember there, God commanded Adam and Eve, so the first man and the first woman, he, he created them, if you remember, to rule and reign over his creation. He, he created them to serve as his image, his representatives that would rule and reign over his good creation. But he also commanded them not to eat out of one tree in the garden. But as you know the story, they didn't listen. Instead, they rebelled against the Lord God who created them. They said, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do what we want to do. You're not going to be the God over us. You're not going to have dominion over us. We're going to have dominion over you. We're going to do what we want to do. And so they rebelled, and they ate of the tree anyway. And as a result, then, what happened? The first sin, then, entered into the world for the first time. It didn't stop there, though. It gets worse. Look what happened next. We see it in verse 12 as a result of Adam's sin. And you see it on your handout as well. Death, then, came into the world through sin as the penalty for sin. So this is what Paul goes on to say there in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and then he says, and death through sin. What Paul means here is that death came as a penalty or a consequence for Adam's sin. That death is the penalty, it's the punishment for sin. That Adam's sin, Adam rebelled, Adam revolted against God, and as a result, the consequence or the punishment was death, which then begs this question, what are we talking about then? Like, what, what kind of death is Paul referring to here in, in verse 12? Well, this death that he's referring to here, it's twofold. And first, he's, he's talking about the fact that Adam's death involved physical death. It involved physical death. And the reason that we know that, you don't have to turn there, is because of what God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, the, the end section there in Genesis chapter 3, God is outlining the curses and the punishment for sin, for Adam's sin and, and Eve's sin. 
And here's part of the punishment that Adam was going to receive and all of mankind was going to receive because of Adam's sin. God tells Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, that's a consequence of Adam's sin. That God's saying here, because of your sin, Adam, you're going to die physically. You're going to return back to the ground. You're going to return back to the dust as a consequence, as a punishment for your sin. So that's what this death first involved. It involved physical death, but that's not all that it involved. That's not only the type of death that it involved. It also involved, and you see this on your handout, it involves spiritual death. And the reason we know that is because of what God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Again, you don't need to turn there, but this is God speaking to Adam before he ever sinned. That before Adam ever sinned, this is what God told Adam. He said to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of, tr- of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day, catch this, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, what do we know about Adam? He didn't die physically on the day that he ate from the tree. Instead, he continued to live hundreds and hundreds of years after his sin of eating from the tree. So if that's the case, then what did God mean when he told Adam that the day that he ate of the tree, then he would die? Well, he didn't mean that he would die physically. He meant that he would die spiritually. In other words, after Adam's sin, he was going to be a dead man walking. His heart was going to still continue to beat. His lungs were still going to continue to breathe. But he was going to be dead. He was going to be dead spiritually which meant for the rest of his life, he was going to be alienated from God. He was going to be cursed by God. He was going to be banished from the presence of God. And he was ultimately going to receive the just judgment of God. Adam's death involved physical death. Adam's death involved spiritual death. So sin came into the world. Just follow the the chain of events, right? The logic here. Sin came into the world through one man. And then death came as a consequence for that sin, but it didn't stop there. Third and finally then, you see this on your handout, death then spread to all because all sinned. So again, just follow the chain of events, the, 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 the sequence here. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and then death through, through sin as a consequence for sin, and then finally death spread to all men because all sinned. So then, here's the million dollar question. What does this last event here in in verse 12 that Paul is describing here, in this chain of events, what's that mean? So death spread to all men because all sinned. What's that mean? And again, just put it in the logic and sequence of events that we find in verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And death came into the world through that sin as a consequence for sin. And as a result of that, then death spread to all men because all men sinned. And so, so what's, that, what's that last part in this sequence mean? So death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, there's two ways 
to read and understand that the end of verse 12 here. So death spread to all men and, and all sin. There's two ways to read and, and understand that. The first way to read and understand those words is this way. It's to read them as saying, you see these, all this on your hand out there, but it's to read them as saying that death spread to all men because all men sinned individually and personally. You see that? In other words, death spread to all men because all men followed the example of Adam and sinned just like Adam did. And as a result of sinning just like Adam did, then they deserve to die just like Adam did. In other words, they committed acts of sin just like Adam did and therefore died just like Adam did. So that's, that's one way to read and understand the last part of verse 12 there and that, that last sequence of events. The other way, though, to read and understand the end of verse 12 is this way. It's to read them as saying that death spread to all men because all men sinned in the sin of Adam. Do you see that? In, in other words, it, it, we'll see all this in the verses to come, but Adam was the representative, he was taking the three-point shot of all of humanity, of all of mankind in the garden. And so then when Adam sinned, he was representing all of humanity. He, he was standing for us. He was representing us. He was acting on our behalf and acting on behalf of the whole human race. And because of that then, when Adam sinned, then God looked upon all of humanity as having sinned as well. And as a result then, death spread to all of us as a consequence for sin. Again, it's not that we ate the fruit like Adam ate the fruit, but he was our representative. And so what he did, God then considered all of humanity as having done, and as a result, death spread to all of, of us. And so then which, which of you is correct, or how do you read it? How do you understand the end of verse 12 there? Well, within the context of chapter five here, and especially the verses that we're about to get into in the rest of chapter 5, it seems to me that Paul is emphasizing the, the second view here and the second way to read and understand the end of verse 12 here. And the main reason that I believe that and the main reason I, I say that is because, and you see this on your hand out there, it's because the focus of the passage, meaning like the entirety of the rest of the passage, is not on our imitation of Adam, that we die as a result of sin like Adam did, but the focus of the rest of the passage is on Adam's effect on us, meaning, meaning that we're counted as sinners and die because of Adam's sin. Like that's what the entirety of the whole rest of this, this passage is all about. And you see this explicitly stated, and we'll get back to these verses here in just a minute, but you see this explicitly stated there. Look at, look at verse 15. Paul says, many died through one man's trespass. He doesn't say many died because of their individual personal sins that they committed. He doesn't say that at all. He says, many died because of one man's trespass. He makes it even more clear in verse 18. He says, one trespass, meaning Adam's, led to condemnation for all men. He doesn't say, that, that people's individual personal sins led to their condemnation. 
He says that Adam's sin led to our condemnation for all men. See the same thing even more clear in verse 19. He says, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. He doesn't say because of everybody's individual personal sins that they, that they commit, that they were made sinners. He says it's because of Adam's sin, Adam's disobedience, that they were made sinners. Again, we're going to dig into all those verses here more in just a minute, but, but this, is the, this is the whole point. Like this is the whole point of this entire, the whole theme of this entire passage. And just, just catch this because it should rub you the wrong way. Like if this isn't rubbing you the wrong way, you don't, you don't grasp what I'm saying. It should rub you the wrong way. This whole passage is to show you, it's to show us all of humanity that people die and are under the penalty of death, not fundamentally because of their own personal, actual, active sin, but first and foremost, because of the sin of somebody else. The sin of Adam. And, and that's the whole point of the, of the next verses that we see here in verses 13 and 14. Look there with me just real quick. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these two verses. But in verse 13, Paul says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Like that should make your head hurt right now, right? Those are hard verses to follow and, and exactly grasp and follow Paul's logic here. But, but he, summary fashion, here, here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that before the Old Testament law was given, sin existed. And the reason that we know that sin existed before the law is because death existed. And death is the penalty of sin. And so since death was present, then, and death is the penalty of sin, then sin must have been present before the law as well. However, the sin that existed before the law wasn't like the sin that Adam committed. Like Adam committed an explicit, specific, revealed command that God had given. Don't eat from the tree. But those type of commands... Specific, revealed, ex, um, explicit commands didn't come until the law was given and were written and codified in the law. And so then the sin that existed before the law was the sin of Adam. That, that all of humanity was ultimately declared guilty for as a result of Adam's sin in the garden. And the proof of that, that that's the sin that existed was that death, is, death existed before the law as well. We'll get back to all this here in, in just a minute. But, but put all this together for a minute, right? I want you to feel the weight and the implications of all this for just a minute. If Adam, again, this should rub you the wrong way. If Adam was the representative for all of humanity in the garden, your representative, he's the one who's taken the three-point shot, on our behalf, standing in for us on our behalf, if he's our representative in the garden, and if all of us then sinned in him, if we're considered and counted as guilty because of Adam's sin, and if as a result, death has spread to all of humanity as the consequence 
of Adam's sin. And therefore, if, we, if, if we've died spiritually, physically, because of Adam's sin, if all of that is true, then what are the implications for that for, for our lives? Like, what's the significance? What's the relevance of that for our lives today in this room this morning? Well, let me, there's a lot of implications and relevance, but let me mention two. The first is this, and you see these on your hand, is that the reality of these truths then should humble us, should humble us. What I mean by that is this. It should cause us to realize that we're in a much deeper, bigger problem than we even realized. That we're in a bigger, deeper problem than we even realized. Like our problem isn't that we just, that we just sin personally and then are deserving of death and judgment for the sins that we commit. Like that's a problem. Like that's a big problem. But we're in a bigger problem than just that. Our problem isn't just that you and I personally and individually sin and are deserving of death and judgment for the sins that we commit. Our problem is, is that we're a part of an entire human race <laughs> that is condemned and guilty and dead not because of anything that we've done, but because of something that Adam did on our behalf. Like that's the problem, that's the dilemma, that's the, that's the issue that all of humanity and all of mankind finds ourselves. And the reality of that then should greatly humble us because what that means is there ain't nothing you can do about it. You didn't get yourself into that mess, and there ain't no way you're going to be able to get yourself out of it. And not only that, it should humble you in just knowing that you got a problem that somebody else got you ultimately into, not you. Like, you're stuck. Sin isn't just something that you do. Sin is like who you are. You were born that way. Guilty, dead, because of Adam's sin. That's the first implication this truth should have on our lives. Second implication it should have on our lives is this. It should give us hope. And now I know it, at first glance in saying that, you're like, that's backwards. Like, how, how is that supposed to give me hope? Well, here's what I mean by that. Usually, the, the number one people way that people respond upon hearing these truths is this. That's not fair. Like, I didn't do anything to deserve that. It's not fair for me to be punished for something I didn't do. It's not right. It's not just. Like, Adam did it. I didn't do it. So why am I being punished for something that I didn't do? Why am I being punished for something that Adam did? It'd be like my two kids here, right? Like, Jacob does something wrong, and I punish Hannah for it. Well, that's not fair. That's not just. How's that right? 
Well, that's a great question. My kids wonder that themselves. That's a, that's a great question. And so if you're wrestling with that question, here are two truths to remember. And the first truth would be that, this. It's to get off your, your holy high horse and to realize if you were in the garden, you would have done the same thing. And so you'd, you'd be in the same exact situation that you are now. And so the moment that you begin to think, well, that's not fair. Come on, let's, let, let's get serious, right? I mean, you wouldn't have done any better than Adam. So that's, that's the first way to respond. I, I love you, but that's the first way to respond. The second truth, though, we need to remember is this. And this is how this should give us hope. We need to remember if this is how this thing works, if this is how God organized it all, if this is just how all this works, in other words, if God just organized all this and if God deals with us based upon the one who represents us, like if that's how God deals with us and what our standing before him is ultimately based on, if that's how God deals with us, if this is how it all works, if it all works based upon who's representing us and, and, and our standing before God and how God deals with us is based upon our representative, the reality of that then should give us hope. And the reason it should give us hope is because if somehow, some way, like a new Adam, maybe like a second Adam, maybe like a better Adam could come, and represent us, and stand in for us on behalf of us, and obey somehow where, where, where the first Adam failed, then, then the reality of that then is, is that we, we still could have hope then of, of being counted as righteous instead of guilty, and of being given life instead of death. Well, guess what? And here's the good news. Like, we don't just have to wish and hope that somehow, some way, a new Adam, a, a better Adam would come along and represent us. Instead, he's already come. And his name is Jesus. And that's the, that's the whole point that Paul wants to make clear to us at the very end of verse 14. Look there with me. At the very end of verse 14, Paul says that Adam is a type of the one who was to come. Meaning Adam is a type of Jesus. The word type there means, means pattern, so that Adam is a, is a pattern of Jesus, meaning there's something about Adam and who he was and what he did that serves as a pattern. It serves as a type. It serves as a picture of Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus was going to do. But, and so then here, here's, here's the pattern. Here, here's the parallel that, that Paul wants us to see when it comes to Adam and how Adam serves as a type or a pattern or a picture of, of Jesus. It's this. They're both representatives. They both represent all of humanity. So much so that what they did, whether good or, or whether bad, counted for more than just themselves. It also counted for and transferred to those that they represent. And that is the whole point of the rest of the passage, verses 15 through 19. Like, I'm gonna read these verses all at once just to, just to kind of give you a broad overview. But as I read these verses, and I know Lord just read them, but, but just notice 
how Adam is a type or a pattern of Jesus and how they both represent a body of people and how what they've done is transferred to those that they represent. So in verse 12, look what Paul writes. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, love that, the many will be made righteous. So then just put all this together, right? Verses 12 through 14. We saw how just as one man's disobedience led to condemnation and death for all, now in verses 15 through 21, we're going to see how now also, how also one man's obedience led to righteousness and life for all. That, that's the contrast here that Paul wants us to see in verses 15 through 21 here. He wants, to see, he wants us to see the stark polar opposite contrast between these two representatives of humanity and mankind and what these two representatives, how the actions of these two representatives then transfer to those that they represent. And so the first contrast he wants us to see, and you see all this on your hand out there, but the first contrast he wants us to see is this. He wants us to see that while Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. That's the initial contrast he wants us to see here, that in every Verse here in this passage, Paul highlights, did you notice that? Paul highlights Adam's fall in the garden and how Adam disobeyed and sinned in the garden. You might want to underline or circle some of these, but in verse 15, he talks about the one man's trespass. In verse 16, he talks about the one man's sin and the one trespass. Again, in verse 17, he mentions the one man's trespass. He also mentions that again in verse 18. And then in verse 19, he refers to the one man's disobedience. So like every verse in this passage, he's highlighting how the, the first great representative for all of humanity blew it and failed and sinned in the garden. And he contrasts that with, with, with this other great representative for all of humanity, Jesus. And he shows us that whereas Adam fell and sinned by disobeying God in the garden, Jesus fully and perfectly obeyed God on the cross. And again, just see this contrast here. Again, you might want to underline or connect these contrasts by drawing some arrows or whatever you do in your Bible. But look at verse 18. Paul says, therefore as one man, or excuse me, therefore as one trespass, meaning the trespass of Adam in the garden, then look at the contrast he makes here a few verses or a few words later there in verse 18. He says, he says so one act of righteousness. So he's contrasting in verse 18. One trespass with one act of righteousness. Again, we see that in verse 19. He says, for as by the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam there, then a few words later he says, so by the one man's 
obedience, referring to Jesus and his work on the cross. Again, these are the two representatives. There's not a third representative out there. There's not a fourth representative out there. There's not a 20th representative out there. There's only two representatives for all mankind. One fell, the other succeeded. One disobeyed, the other obeyed. As a result then, and this is the second major contrast we see here, as a result then, Adam brought condemnation while Jesus brought justification. These are the two results or the two consequences of what these two representatives did, what Adam did and Jesus did. That when Adam sinned and disobeyed God in the garden, then it brought condemnation. Not just condemnation on Adam, but condemnation on all of humanity, everybody he represented. So that's why then in, in the middle of verse 16, look there with me, Paul says, for the judgment following one trespass, now here it comes, brought condemnation. See the same thing in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So then again and again and again, when Adam acted in disobedience and sinned in the garden, then all of humanity was looked upon as having sinned and therefore was condemned as guilty by God. In contrast though, right? When Jesus acted in obedience on the cross, then all he represented were looked upon as being righteous. They were looked upon as being obedient and therefore they were justified, meaning they were counted to be or declared to be righteous in the sight of God. And that's, that's the point that Paul is trying to make explicitly clear there in verse 18. Look there with me again. When he says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. And then again in verse 19 when he says, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So just think about this, right? Let's kind of take a breather. Think about all this. Especially if you're a Christian here this morning. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're not counted as righteous by God because of all your acts of righteousness. Do you hear that? If you're a Christian here this morning, you're, you're not counted as righteous by God because of all your acts of righteousness. Instead, you're counted as righteous by God because of Jesus' act of righteousness. He's your representative. And so what he did, God considers you to have done. It's, it's that simple. And because of that then, like you want to talk about fair? You, you want to talk about what's fair? You, you think about being counted guilty for Adam's sin isn't fair? Then, then what about this? You think being counted righteous when you're not righteous is fair? You think being, being counted as righteous because of Jesus' righteousness on your behalf, you think that's fair? No, that's not fair. That's, that's grace. Like that, that's, that's a gift. And that's why then over and over and over again throughout this passage, Paul refers to this righteousness that's ours now, this righteousness that has been credited to us now because of Jesus' act of righteousness on the cross. 
You know how Paul describes that and the word that he uses to refer to that all throughout this passage? He uses the words free gift and he uses the word grace. Again, you might want to underline or circle every time you see those words free gift or grace within this passage. You see it in verse 15. The words free gift, you see the words free gift twice in verse 15 and you see the word grace twice there in verse 15. In verse 16, you see the words free gift again, used again two more times. In verse 17, you see the word grace used again. And then Paul explains in verse 17 what this free gift is. It's the free gift of righteousness that's been credited to us, meaning Jesus' righteousness being, being counted as being ours. And then in verse 20, we see the word grace used two more times. Just picture that, right? Spill the weight of that over and over and over again. Paul is hammering home the point that the righteousness that we have received from Jesus, it's not earned, it's not worked for, it's not deserved. Instead, it's a gift. It's a gift that Jesus earned for us as our representative by his act of righteousness on the cross And the only reason now that we're counted as righteous is because of him, is because of his righteousness that he has represented and accomplished and secured for us by acting on our behalf. It's the only reason. And the word that the Bible uses to describe that is grace. It's a free gift. Which then leads to the third contrast that Paul's highlighting here between Adam and Jesus. And the third contrast is this. See it on your hand. Is that Adam brought death while Jesus brought life. In other words, those who are condemned in Adam die. Like spiritually, physically, forever. While those who have been counted as righteousness in Christ live spiritually, physically, forever. That's why then what we see these words, right? Death and life over and over again throughout these verses. You might want to underline or circle some of these in your Bible. In verse 17, Jesus says that death reigned through the one man's trespass. But he goes on to say in verse 17 that those who receive the free gift of righteousness, they reign in life. In verse 18, he says that the one act of righteousness by Jesus leads to justification and life. And then in verse 21, we see the words death and life there mentioned again. So just, just put all this together, right? These right here, this right here, this is the ultimate result, the ultimate consequences of these two great representatives. That one's disobedience led to condemnation and death and one's act of righteousness leads to justification, leads to righteousness and life. But there's something more in this passage that Paul is trying to hit home on. He's doing something more in this passage than simply contrasting these two great representatives. He's doing something more than just contrasting what this representative did and what this representative did and what this representative accomplished and what this representative accomplished. He's doing something more than than all of that. He's doing something more than just contrasting Jesus with Adam. Instead, what he also wants us to see is how Jesus triumphed over what Adam did and how Jesus triumphed over Adam. What he wants us to see is that, is that Jesus 
isn't just somebody to be contrasted with Adam. Instead, Jesus superseded Adam. Jesus, Jesus overwhelmed Adam. Jesus far abundantly triumphed over Adam and everything that Adam did. And the words that we see used by Paul within this passage to highlight that reality and to highlight that fact are the words much more and abounded. Did you notice how often those words were used throughout this passage? Look again at verse 15. He says, if many died through one man's trespass, here it comes, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, here it comes again, abounded for many. So that, so that God's, grace, it, God's grace didn't just come trickling in. Instead, God's grace abounded. It, it abounded much more than the sin of Adam and anything that Adam did and anything that Adam accomplished. See the same thing. Look at verse 17. He says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, here it comes, much more will those who receive the, and here it comes again, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Again, we see the word much more, abundance. We see it again. Look at verse 20, the last two verses there in verses 20 and 21 of the passage. Paul says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace, here it comes again, abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, what Paul's doing here, he's doing much more than just contrasting, oh, here's what Jesus did, and here's what Adam did. Instead, what Paul's doing, he's showing that what Jesus did triumphed over. It superseded. It overwhelmed. It defeated. It put to shame everything that Adam did. And the reality of that then has huge implications, right, for your life and, and for my life. What that means then is, is this. It means that no matter how many sins that you commit, or no matter how many sins that might pile up, that you might pile up, and it means that no matter how grievous those sins might be, that you can be rest and assured that God's grace to you in Christ will always be more. So then if like your sin scores a touchdown and kicks the extra point, God's grace is gonna score a touchdown and score the two-point conversion. Like football people should understand that. Some of you others had no idea what I'm talking about. What I mean is this, your sin that you commit and that Adam has committed on your behalf, it will never, ever exceed, outlast, or be more than God's grace. Instead, God's grace given to you in Christ, the righteousness of Christ given to you as a free gift will always and forever be abundantly more than the sin and the death that has been given to you in, in Adam. And some of you might be thinking, well, that, that sounds great, John, but you don't know like all that I've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've done. And if that's your response to this, then I would respond back to you saying, no, the problem is you don't know how much Jesus has done. 
and you don't know the extent of grace and how abundant that grace and how much that grace has triumphed over every single thing that you have ever done. That for those who are in Christ, God's grace will always supersede, overpower, and triumph over sin and death. So if all that is true, that's, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot to take in on a Sunday morning. But if, th- if that's true, like, what's, what's the relevance and implications of all that for our lives today? Again, if, if it's true that one man's disobedience led to condemnation and death for all, but if it's also true that one man's obedience led to justification, righteousness, and life for all, then what, what is the relevance and implications of all that for our lives here this morning? I'll, I'll close with this. Three applications, three implications, and then, and then we'll be done. The first implication is this, is that we need to realize that there's only two representatives out there. And that that reality of your life and the outcome in the future of your life is not ultimately dependent upon your actions and what you do in this life. You can work, you can perform, you can try really hard, it doesn't matter because you're not taking the shot. There's only two people taking the shot and everybody else in Hall of Humanity is gonna be judged upon the actions of those two people. Life's pretty simple and that's it. And so the question is, what it all boils down to It was who's going to represent you. You got two choices. You can't represent yourself. It's either Adam or Jesus. You're standing before God. Your eternal destiny, whether you live or die, spiritually and physically, is dependent upon Who is going to represent you? Who is that going to be? We all come into this world not cute and cuddly. We all come into this world being represented by Adam. We come to this world dead, alienated by God, cursed by God, banished from the favorable presence of God, judged by God, and guilty. And the only way then for that to change and for us to go from being represented by Adam to be represented by Jesus is to receive the free gift that's available. It's a free gift, right? It's grace. You can't earn it, can't deserve it, can't do anything to receive it. It's just a free gift that's just received by faith. Faith meaning relying upon, trusting in. That the only thing that you're trusting in, the only thing that you're relying upon to be counted as righteous in the sight of God is Jesus' one act of righteousness on the cross. That's your only hope. It's all you're trusting in. That's That's what you're relying upon. 
If that's true of you this morning, then the Bible says God counts you as righteous and you're declared and just, you're declared innocent and not guilty and perfectly righteous in the sight of God. And so if that's not you this morning, if that's not what you're relying upon this morning, I would beg you and encourage you to not be represented by the first Adam anymore. Instead, turn to the second Adam, the better Adam, by faith and trust and rely upon his act of righteousness for you to be counted as righteous in God's sight. Second application then is this. Remember that your salvation is safe and secure. Remember that your salvation is safe and secure. In other words, if, if you're a Christian and if your righteousness isn't ultimately dependent upon you and your righteousness, instead if it's an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's outside of you, that, that was accomplished through the act of righteousness of Jesus on the cross, and it's, if it's just given to you as a free gift, if, if that's true, then your eternal standing and, your, and your, your salvation before God is safe and secure. You never have to worry about it. You never have to question it. You never have to doubt it. Instead, if you're looking for, to Jesus to be representative, then your standing before God is secure because your standing before God and your salvation isn't ultimately dependent upon you and your righteousness. Your standing before God is ultimately, is ultimately dependent upon Jesus' righteousness. You simply receive it and trust in it by faith. Third and final application is this. If everything we've seen this morning is true, then it should cause us to stand in awe of the salvation that Jesus has won for should cause us to stand in awe that we did nothing left to ourselves we are still in Adam and if it hadn't been for a new and a second and a better Adam to come along to take the shot that Adam missed then we'd still be counted as guilty and dead in God's sight and we have no reason to pat ourselves on the, on the back or to puff our chest out um, because we didn't do anything to accomplish our salvation. Instead, the righteousness that secured our salvation came to us as a gift and came to us on behalf of somebody else's righteousness. And we simply just rely upon it and trust it in him by faith. And if that doesn't just cause your mouth and your jaw to drop, and leave you just really in complete silence and awe, I really have no idea what might. And so, Christian, take heart. Um, we have a better Adam, a new Adam, who represents us abundantly well, who has triumphed over sin and death and everything that the first Adam ever did. And so you're safe and secure, not in your righteousness, but ultimately in his righteousness. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this word. Thank you for hard, challenging passages of scripture that are hard to kind of meander through at times. But at the same time, I pray that the reality of this passage would humble us 
that it would cause us to just be humbled before you first and foremost. To be grateful, to be in awe, to have hearts that just want to worship and to praise you for the free, abundant gift of righteousness that you've bestowed upon us in Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.